YouTube land. What's good? It's your boy B Heard, aka Brian, aka Prince, aka Prince Vegeta about the hating. We are back with the runback. What the runback is, is a series where I go one on one with some of your favorite FGC slash content creators and I interview them and I talk to them. Now, this is a very special episode for me. For those of you who do not know, I am a commentator. I took 2021 off and then obviously the pandemic in 2020, but I'm excited to get back to it in 2022. Now, if I had to have a Mount Rushmore, right? This is my personal, my opinion. So kick rocks with no shoe if you disagree with my opinion. But my Mount Rushmore involves these four commentators, and I have one of the legendary ones today. I would say it's Say Jam and Tasty Steve, and James Chin, and now without further ado, Ultra David. You want to say something to the people? Ah, oh, that's very nice of you to say. I appreciate that. Now, I mean, like, so I got to the FGC late. I was, uh, but all the tournaments I watched, I, I just saw you, James Chin, Sage Jam, and Tasty Steve. And like, just to have you on this platform is kind of a surreal moment, too, because it's like, that's who I kind of studied. And I, I, I feel like you, the way you commentate, it's not like, like you are almost like, perfect like you're all around commentator i don't think it's like that one thing like oh he only does this he only does that like you can do it all and that's actually quite impressive i appreciate that that's nice of you to say i feel like that took quite a while to get there that was not how i started but yeah over the years i've had enough time and enough practice uh and enough people who have been helping me out that yeah i feel like i figured most of it out it's been pretty cool Mm, absolutely you love to hear it and uh speaking of uh years and things of that nature let's just start with your name how did you i know obviously your name is david but how did you get ultra uh, david is that a ki ultra reference david. no it's not you're gonna have to ask 11 year old me whose family got aol and needed a uh sign in tag for aol back when uh you know 94 and i picked ultra david and i don't really remember why i thought that was cool but you know there i was i did and so that's what i picked and it just it just has stuck with me that was my aol screen name which was relevant when i was going to college in the early 2000s people were still on aol uh at least on aim uh and so i stuck with that and then i signed up on sureyoucan.com on the forums with ultra david and like at that point i'm in my you know early 20s mid 20s and people getting to know me as ultra david is too late so I did actually try to change it a couple of times to like other names. But as soon as I would, for example, go to a tournament and sign up under whatever else, as soon as they realized it was me, they would cross out whatever other name there was and just write Ultra David in there. Like it was, it was too late. And at this point, yeah, for the last you know dozen years, it's just been, I've gotten used to it. It feels very natural to me now. Because you do, you are a fan of like Killer Innocent, correct? Like I'm not. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I definitely played um, the new KI. To be clear, I thought that the original KIs were really bad. I did not think that they were good games. Wow. Uh, and when I, when I picked Ultra David, that was, I guess, about when KI was going on. Like, original KI. Maybe KI Gold or something for the Nintendo. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I do like the new KI. It's just I picked the name way before that. Because hmm. I always knew that, like, I felt like you weren't just a Capcom guy because I always know that you compensated Mortal Kombat and you always tried those mm -hmm. kind of games. So I just, I just always assume, I guess I didn't really assume, but like when I thought about it, when I asked you to do this uh, interview, I was just kind of sitting there. I was like, yeah, he, he, it gotta be KI, right? Like what else could it be? It makes sense. Yeah. You're not the first person to think that. And uh, you know, if I didn't know me, I think that that would make sense too, but <laughs> it just happens not to be uh, what happened. See, I, that's the only thing I hate is like, 
I don't want to say like it was Destiny or something like that, or maybe I'm just not that creative. But uh, for those of you who do not know, my name is uh, Brian, and I go uh, my last name is Heard. So ironically, I go by B Heard because it's like, come on now, like what better? Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know what I'm saying? As far as a commentator, what name could I say that would be better than that? No, I like it. So that's what I uh, had to go with. Just to keep talking about your early upbringings in the FGC. so there's a show that's like a documentary series for the NFL and it's called Welcome to the Rookie. And basically whenever somebody says like, welcome to the league or like your welcome moment is basically when somebody kind of beats your ass or if it's the NFL, someone hits you hard. So mm. my question to you, David, is what was your welcome to the FGC moment? Or like, what was that moment that where you're like, oh, wow, there's people who are like really skillful at this fighting game that I like. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question yeah i mean it's a long time ago and i don't know that i have an exact moment anymore but i went to college i got to, i got to um college in 2001 and my campus had a really good arcade i had played games before fighting games before but you know just with my brothers and stuff no big deal and i fancied myself pretty good at them and this arcade just happened to have some of the best players in the world like ricky ortiz would go there wow and um, john Choi would go there yeah it just happened to be where i was going to school and I didn't know any of them, but, you know, I went and I got demolished by not just them, but like there were actually other people, um, Eric Choi, who got top eight at Evo uh, over the years in, in my arcade. So, yeah, I mean, it was a really, really good scene. And I don't remember like any specific moment, but just, you know, going going to the arcade, not winning, losing a lot and feeling like that was not something that I could put up with. Just, you know, feeling like I, sh- I should be able to figure it out. I could figure it out. And that process, that path seemed really fun. I really liked the idea and the actual, like, practice of getting better. So I, I stuck with it. Did it hurt you at all to, like, you know, a lot, a lot of people are prideful, especially in things that, like, sure. you know, seeing fighting games. Fighting games is just almost like like fighting in real life where you see your character get beat and defeated and then not to mention if it's like a Mortal Kombat you see him get fatalized <laughs> yeah. and if it's a Street Fighter you see him KO'd with the, the countdown and stuff like like so were you ever prideful in the sense that you didn't want to ask like for help or you like kind of looked at it like as a challenge like oh I want to get better so I'm gonna keep playing this person and ask them questions and stuff like that I think somewhere in between um, I will say that at the time when I was in college, for most of college, actually, I was really shy. It's hard for me to talk to other people. So I would go to the arcade and not talk to anybody. And it wasn't until my senior year that I started to like, really meet people who I'd basically been with for like four years. Uh, so I didn't do a lot of asking questions. I did talk a lot on SRK. I, I posted a lot on there. I talked with people on the forums and on IRC. And so I would say I learned more by that but you know i didn't know about srk or the forums or anything like that until one of the people who i was playing with in the arcade he kind of did you know he, it was more on him reaching out to me hey i like how you play a little bit but there's a lot that you need to learn clearly so like let's go let's play like let's figure it out and, and he really helped me out and he also told me about SRK. um so i wouldn't say that it was me who like who reached out but you know one of my friends did reach out and that was that was huge for me in beginning to figure things out but yeah i I was prideful i was prideful um i you know again i I was coming at this from the world of just playing with my brothers and friends and i would usually beat them and so i felt like i was good 
So yeah, I mean, it, I think it did sting a little bit when I first got dunked. But I also realized in getting dunked that there was this whole big world of strategy and ideas and, and adaptations and critical thinking that I really, really liked that I don't know that I thought was really there before. Like, I, I liked fighting games, but I didn't really think about them strategically until I got there and got destroyed. Yeah, I think that's like the realization with fighting games that I notice now is that it's always kind of been there, like when I was first getting into the FCC, but then now I'm starting to understand and like the reasoning and the choices behind certain things. And now you really see it and you're like, oh, wow, it was there the whole time. But obviously when you're like a scrub and you're just pressing buttons, you, you don't realize what they're doing and like how they're always kind of ready for every option and stuff like that. And I think even now it's harder to uh, see i'm like somewhere in the middle i understand things and i see why things happen the way they do but now it's more about applying it and actually being consistent in that and that that's what makes it harder because it's like ah, i know what i did wrong but i, I gotta fix it so that actually yeah. i think it hurts worse being in that shoes versus the newbie who's learning this whole new world i can see that yeah i think i think the very first time that you lose you feel bad but then there, there's this whole and as long as you're willing to accept the fact that you need to learn, uh, which you should, but as long as you are willing to do that, then there's this really long path of, you know, you lose, but like, okay, you know, you're not the best. You, you know, you need to learn. And it doesn't feel so bad to lose. When you feel like you're good and you still lose, that, that's tough. I agree. I, I, I mean, I, so like we have a local here in Iowa and it's pretty good and a lot of people are super helpful it's, it's just like I got pride and it's like I'm trying to do the whole content creation thing too so it's like mm -hmm. it kind of sucks if you have like a really bad day it's like I don't really want to upload that because it's like you know <laughs> pe people want to see like good either good competition or good uh, like hilarious commentary so it's kind of hard to be a funny person when you're over here getting smacked around but you know I progress uh, I'll get better eventually <laughs> um what what made you were you always a part of the grappler lifestyle like when did you get adopted into that because it's like ah okay, or... yeah, good question i i've I, right i've been known as a grappler player a long mm -hmm. time uh, not really how i started i think my first character that i mained was super turbo vega so not a grappler really and uh, yeah and i didn't really know much at the time i mean this is me just getting to college not really knowing too much. I didn't know that there was a Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo until I got to college. Like, I just wasn't really... I didn't know much, mm -hmm. even about, like, which games had come out. So I got there, and he seemed fun. I just thought he looked cool. He has this, like, kind of red and black color that I thought was really sick. And so I, I used him, and I didn't really think much about it. I wasn't very good. Um, and then I played Guile for a while, and then I landed on Zangief. And I don't, I don't know if there's like a particular reason, because the other, you know, there's not much connection between Vega, Guile, and Zangief. Like they're all quite different. So I just think I probably thought he looked cool, and and I began to enjoy it. I think at that point, uh, I was playing Q and Third Strike at around the same time as well. And he's a grappler. He has a command grab, but he's not. I mean, he's bad, but like even on top of that, he's more of a defensive type character than like an offensive grappler. He just happens to have a command grab. You use it sometimes, not like a, not like all the time. Hmm. So yeah, I think I got, I think I got used to playing as Geef. I picked up Honda a little bit later, and same kind of idea. And I would say only, only of several years into me playing in the arcades, trying to play competitively, that I begin to feel like I was a grappler. So I think that it may be just like I happened to pick up Geef 
and I enjoyed it and that kind of snowballed. But yeah, it's certainly since, I don't know, yeah, the mid-2000s, uh, I've been mostly a grappler player. I really like the idea of it. Um, I, it what I like the most, I think, is that it's, it's an imbalanced play style. So I don't like the kinds of characters that have all the options. Hmm. Not to say that I want to play the characters who are, who are bad. There was a phase in my life when that's true, but it hasn't been for a long time. Instead, like, what, what I like is, is being able to figure out ways to make my lopsided character work I, I don't mean imbalance in the sense of like being too good or too bad but like just kind of he has a you know grapplers have a lopsided s- strategy they're trying to get in um they're weak at very obvious ranges they're very obviously strong at other ranges and and it's you know there's not a lot in between for at least for some grappler characters and i like that i think that that's a cool play style that i i have to like figure out how to make it work uh, it's very fun strategy to me, and I like honestly that like it frustrates opponents. Like getting grabbed is a frustrating thing for a lot of people, and I enjoy that. I want in in competition. I think it's fun to frustrate people. So um, yeah, I think grapplers were kind of like just by chance, but I also think that it makes sense with what I like to do. Uh, even in other competitions, when I played sports growing up, or when I've played other games, I've really enjoyed the kind of like frustrating play style that other people don't like. I really, I really enjoy. It. So I think grapplers fit me well for that reason. Hmm. And that's actually an interesting take too, because I feel like you're the first person. I mean, I haven't interviewed a whole bunch of like grappler mains and stuff like that, but you're the first person that says I like that challenge. I like that. I know yep. from full screen I'm at a disadvantage, but you know when it's close hand to hand combat, I'm pretty much it's my game to lose because i could do whatever i want and i think nothing's more demoralizing than getting grabbed by a character i could just see it now like i vividly remember like potemkin like getting grabbed by him on the ground and then getting slammed and like all right i need to jump back or something like that and then get scooped mm-hmm. out the air like that's mm-hmm. uh, those yep. back-to-back yep. sequences they're just so those tragic. are such fun reads from the perspective of the grappler player those are super super fun reads to make and and yeah, I mean, I think that that's super cool. I play zoners too. I didn't originally do that, but for the, about the past decade, maybe dozen years at this point, I've been also playing zoners. Honestly, for the same reason. Uh, to me, they're just two sides of the same coin. They both have these lopsided playstyles. One of them, you need to get up close, you're bad far away. The other one, you need to stay away, you're bad up close. And they're both frustrating for opponents to play against. So I find a lot of similarities between the two. A lot of the same mindset for me applies. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy both as a result. I think that's why I kind of always pick like a middle of the road type of character because it's also kind of hard to like only for me if I play like a zoner it's hard for me to stay out like I have to realize like this is the game plan just keep poking at them and frustrate them and then just punish them when they try to do something bold or something like that mm-hmm. and that's it's obviously it does take a mindset like and then you know what I'm saying if you see that character select screen and they pick the grappler or they pick the zoner like you know you have to being a work and a lot of people don't have that patience yeah it takes a particular set of um of matchup knowledge almost always to play against either of those so like you may often find that grapplers are really strong and like day one or or of a new game and that's because like they always take a little bit of time to figure out that's not to say that they're going to be good or bad it's just that grappler strategy is usually like pretty obvious you know i mean like you as a grappler player you're like okay i have to get in and do a command like it's not super complicated Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how that works in each game is different and over time it gets complicated but day one is super easy so I, I like that and I think that it's similar for zoners a lot of zoners have strategy that is obvious day one again it becomes complicated you know matchups get 
weird. Um, but for people who are playing against grapplers and zoners, the fact that they have to have so much matchup knowledge to know how to play against them is another thing that I enjoy about playing grapplers and zoners because not everybody has that matchup knowledge, and that lets me kind of run amongst. Heard that. Heard that. It's a great perspective. Um, now I. Not saying that I don't think you can have this career, but you having this career and you also being one of the greatest compensators of all time actually blows my fucking mind. I have to see if this is true. You're an attorney? I am an attorney. Can you explain how you balance being an attorney and a commentator at the same time? <laughs> yeah, there's honestly a lot of crossover in my opinion. As far as... I, I think people are... Uh, people who find that difficult to believe i think expect that it's like i'm the kind of attorney who's working 100 hours a week which is not true um i have my own law practice and i kind of set my own hours and i and i set how many clients i'm taking at any one time so you know i'd like to have a lot of clients but like i don't need to work 50 hours a week i can just keep a regular schedule for myself so i have as much time as you know most people do as a result and um and, you know, yeah, what I do with my extra time is on, 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 often just commentating. But there's actually a lot of crossover. Um, I feel that the same, the same ability to speak well, to formulate thoughts well, that's super important in being an attorney. I'm not the kind of lawyer who goes into court. Um, I'm not a litigator, which is what that's called. Oh, okay. I'm a transactional attorney. So I'm the kind of guy who is putting a contract together or I'm negotiating for my client with some other party we're trying to do a business deal or something oh so i'm not like in front of a judge but i'm still i need to be able to talk confidently in negotiations Uh, i need to be able to speak well i need to be able to you know adapt on the fly if the um, other attorney or whoever i'm talking with says something unexpected Uh, i've got to be fast on my feet i have to know the subject matter really well i have to be really sure about what my client wants you know what are they looking so there's a lot of crossover between that and commentating well. I have to know the game material really well. I have to be able to speak quickly. I have to be able to speak well. Um, I have to be able to make my points understood in a really rapid way. And I have to be able to think on my feet and adapt really fast because action fighting games is fast. And also maybe my co-commentator says something that I need to react to super suddenly, you know, whether it's a joke or whatever it may be, and come up with something witty to say. So I feel like I'm practicing for the other when I'm doing one, you know what I mean? Um, And then even beyond that, there's crossover in the sense that my legal career is mostly in game dev and esports. So some of my first clients were people in the FGC, like Spooky and Level Up, and I continue to have clients uh, who are some of the biggest tournament organizers, some of the biggest broadcasters, um, some teams or players over the years, depending on sort of what time I've been back and forth on that so when I go to an event I'm not just going there to commentate I'm oftentimes seeing clients keeping up with clients or meeting new clients so there there really is a lot of crossover oh wow that's I did not know that that's interesting do you ever feel like fatigued because I mean those are two extremes of like knowing your shit I mean it seems like it'd be kind of hard to just even practice I don't know I think that it's it's maybe I'm just used to it at this point it feels really natural though that's and crazy. I mean, look, like I feel like even even back in school, one made me better at the other. Like I think that I didn't really get good at fighting games until I went to law school. I think that part of that reason, part of the reason for that, is that I had to learn how to think critically better. 
huge part of law school is not really like learning what the laws are because that varies by state and locality and stuff and changes all the time anyway Mm -hmm. Um, instead it's kind of getting a grounding in what the law is is generally like how to research but maybe more importantly how to think how to how to spot issues that clients could run into or that may appear in the law um and 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 how to talk so i feel like learning how to think critically in a legal sense made me better at learning how to think critically in a video game sense and i think the opposite is true too like there was a feedback loop there so i began to get better at fighting games and i began to figure out new ways of thinking about fighting games that i think then also applied to different ways to think about a court case or about a contract or whatever i may be doing isn't like law school super competitive too as well i feel like it it is it is i think i was lucky to go to a law school that is not one of the most cutthroat um i mean it was a strong law school but it wasn't like there are some law schools where you hear horror stories of how jerky people are to each other and my law school wasn't like that thankfully i made a lot of good friends there people were, were cool my professors were really helpful and great um i honestly really enjoyed it but I, you know, I, I liked law. I went into law basically because it was something I was like intellectually interested in. I'm just like interested in law and philosophy. So I did a lot of theory there. I did a lot of philosophy there. And for me, it was a blast. Like just reading and talking about the material was super fun. So it was maybe a different law school experience than I think some people have. Lucky for and that's the one thing I will say that I've always kind of noticed about how you talk and how you deliver things is it always seems like you are generally passionate about what you're talking about. It's not like you're like wasting your information on whoever you or like whatever you don't care. It seems like when Ultra David talks, he's talking about something he truly cares about. I know obviously the only times I've really heard you talk about law is right in here right now. But even then, you sound passionate about it. Thanks, man. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's true. Uh, I feel that I'm very lucky to be able to do work both in the legal sense and in the commentary sense that, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely passionate about. I like playing video games a lot, dude. I mean, I was just playing video games before uh, we got on this call. Um, so for me, that's not, yeah, I'm not like making, making super fun. And I only really commentate games that I enjoy. If there's a game that, I, that comes out that I'm not into, I'm not going to take commentary gigs for that both because I don't want to take the space of somebody else who really is into it, and also because my commentary is going to be bad. It's, it's going to reflect badly on me. So there's like a selfish reason and an unselfish reason, I think, to, to not do that. So, yeah, I, as a result, I'm only doing stuff that I think is sick. And in, in law, um, like I said, it's just like a, it's an intellectual pursuit for me as well as a career. So I got all sorts of books that are, you know, legal theory and stuff, and I try to keep on top of that just because it's fun. It's fun for and I know now that it's kind of sick. Hopefully, you know what I'm saying? We're cordial at least that if I ever were to get an FGC contract, I am definitely hitting you up. <laughs> Please let me know. Yeah. Yeah, figure that out. Um, I kind of actually, I want to make this a double question if you don't mind. I got two questions back to back, but uh, I actually want to know commentary wise as well. So the first question is, what is your favorite fighting game of all time? And then basically, what is your favorite fighting game to commentate of all time? For both oh okay yeah yeah that's I, I like that those are two separate things i think um my favorite fighting game man you know if times past i would have said street fighter 3 third strike for sure uh i think at this point i have to admit to myself that it's not 
favorite anyway. I still wow. really like it. It's definitely in my top list even still. I don't think I'll ever think it's bad. But yeah, I think that I like Street Fighter V more. I think it's, I think it's Street Fighter V. I really like that game. And maybe number two is Mortal Kombat 11. I think these current games are super sick. Uh, I'm really, really having a good time with both and have been for the last few years. I wouldn't say that I thought either game launched in a way that I would have said that. I mean, for sure, I wouldn't have for SF5. I like them. I like both games like, pretty well right away. But over their lifetimes, they both got like, way more complicated. They got really diverse characters. And um, they have mechanics that I really enjoy and that I feel like let me express myself a lot in playing and they have characters that i feel like fit exactly the kind of play style that i want to play and so yeah i'm i'm really happy with both of them maybe i think the third strike isn't as good because i played a bad character in q so it's like you know i'm sure that colors my opinion maybe if i had just like played chun li the whole time i would still <laughs> love it um i mean like i said i still do like the game a lot but i yeah honestly i think that sf5 and mk11 are my are my preferred games at this point. Um, my favorite game to commentate, you know, it's probably those two, but I think the other contender is Marvel 3. Really? I really yeah, I, so fun. So fun. Uh, there was a time, so when Marvel 3 first came out, I played it a lot, I commentated a lot, I was really, really into it. And then I went through a phase where I thought that it was bad, and it was stupid, and it was becoming really lopsided in tears and x-factor comebacks were happening constantly and i just i was like really negative about it but eventually that didn't end up really being the state of the game after i don't know a couple years people figured stuff out i had stopped playing at that point um but other people figured out really interesting things about the game so i got back into it i started commentating again and i just the the speed of it from a commentary perspective I think it's really cool. It's got two really cool things in my view. One is that you have to be really fast. You have to be really knowledgeable. And I don't just mean that you like have to speak quickly, which is not really super important, but just that you have to be able to switch ideas really fast. Some other big things happens like right away. As soon as you start talking, you got to be able to move on. And that's, that happens all the time in that game. So I feel like I'm constantly on my toes, which is really fun. And then the other thing is that there are times when you have all the time in the world. When somebody lands a TAC infinite, or when they land some really long combo that you know is going to go for the next 15 seconds, you got a lot of time on commentary. And during that time, you get to say whatever you want. Some people, I think, kind of waste it by, you know, just kind of, I don't know, uh, uh, saying, you know, what's, what's going to come next or something. But there's so many interesting things to talk about during that time. It's so rare in a fighting game that you get mid-match time for analysis. It's super, almost no games have you, can, you have to wait until between rounds or between games. But in Marvel 3, you get pretty regularly these times of extreme speed on commentary and then real long time to express full thoughts. And the fact that you get to do both in the same game is... I want to say Marvel 3 is probably like the last recent game to where it doesn't feel like there's like that breakout mechanic that like a Skull Girls will have or where like you can't really get trapped in the infinite. It almost feels like majority of games will have it to where you could break out. Now it's like, yeah. you're going to die. <laughs> We're going to be here yeah, for a while. Yeah. And that's interesting that you said Marvel 3, like, but those two points that you made like kind of make sense. Marvel 3, I 
I was a more of a Mortal Kombat 11 Killer Instinct. Uh, like I came from that realm before I got into the FGC. So now I'm starting to learn about the Capcom side of things and things of that nature. So mm-hmm. Marvel technically for me has never slowed down. So like I would almost have a panic attack trying to commentate that because there's so much <laughs> stuff going on on the screen. And it's so fast, like you said. But when you put it in those two perspectives, that's uh, always interesting. And then it's interesting to hear that you said... Uh, that Street Fighter Five and Mortal Kombat Eleven are some of your favorite games of all time right now, mm-hmm. but I, I, I'm kind of with you. I do. I don't know if they're my favorite games. Like I know Street Fighter Third Strike is my favorite. I just because it's like the first one I really started playing. I actually thought I was just right. super sick, especially with the music and the vibe. But oh, yeah, so oh, cool. Like it, it felt like when those two came out, yeah, they did have a bad release, and they always kind of had something going on. This and the third that. What I've noticed from the FGC, just from the outside looking in, is like people are never really going to be happy. Because even with those two games, where I feel like they are both in a good spot right now, and they both gave us a lot. Even then, people are still not happy. And it's like even the games that have everything that a person wants, they don't play. And then it's like when the game that they want to play doesn't have everything they want, they complain. It's like, yeah, y'all are just people that are just never going to be happy. So I'm going to just play the games I like but uh yeah i think that's right i think that you should just play the games that you like i i think part of why there's some negativity expressed is that people feel like they can't play the games that they like because you know the current games are mk11 and street fighter 5 for for those series mm-hmm. so you, you know you may think that you need to be playing those but you don't um so i i really support people who keep playing games that they love even if the series has a new one that they don't really like as much for example guilty gear stride came out not too long ago people didn't like it so they kept playing uh extra rev 2 that's awesome you know they should absolutely stick to the game that they care about people are still playing uh, uh xx from even before you know plus r is, is still getting played by some people people are out there playing mkx people are out there playing injustice 2 people are out there playing street fighter 4 like whatever it may be marvel 3 great example um so i i don't think that people should be playing the games that are just the most modern if they're not into it play the games that that you enjoy yeah and i mean that's like if anything like now i'm kind of excited that more funny games are coming out because i'm trying different funny games and i'm actually having mm-hmm. fun i think i'm still always going to fall in love with the street fighters and the mortal kombat this is because where i feel comfortable and then if they ever make another dragon ball fighters but at i'm at least tried a fighting game before it's just something something not for me something for others so just basically that's what i'm trying to say people is just try something and just, if you like it you like it that's you ain't gotta approve that to nobody absolutely and you're not gonna like every game there are games that i don't like some of my all-time least favorite fighting games have come out in just the past few years some like some games that i personally think are real bad ass games but whatever i don't yeah, play them hold on you, you, know, gotta, you gotta say it we, we a little toxic here you gotta say it what's the <laughs> what's the ones you don't uh, like i felt well i mean i did talk about this for a while um i th- i feel that samurai showdown is one of the worst major fighting games um that i've ever played i think it's really terrible and I was I was vocal about that when the game came out, which is a few years ago now, something like that. And I felt like it was recent. It, yeah, I mean, it was 2019, I think. It's actually now that I think about it. I think it was 2019. So a couple years. Hmm. Uh, I don't. I wish that I hadn't been so vocal about that. I feel like uh, I'm sure nobody like stopped playing a game because I didn't like it. You know, I don't think that I have that influence. But I do think that it was um, unfortunate that I was so vocal about that because. I feel that I fed into the negativity, like just we're, just as we were talking. Uh, and although I wasn't playing the game, I was nevertheless like feeding that 
that sense of negativity. So I knew friend, I have friends who were really into that game. Actually, several of my friends were really, really into that game. And they got to a point where they didn't want to talk about it around me. Mm. And in retrospect, I feel bad about that. Like, I, I don't know why I shut my friends down from expressing the fact that they enjoyed some stuff. Like, that's great. You know, I wish that I had encouraged that more. Um, I mean, they're not people that stopped playing the game because of that. But they did stop talking to me about it. And yeah, I, I wish that that hadn't happened. So again, like, you're not going to like every game. Uh, but you don't have to be a dick about it. I wish that I hadn't been. I mean, also, you know, it's it's probably the internet. It's not like, like you know what I'm saying, I don't deem you as a bad guy, so I know you probably wasn't just, like, out here walking around, I fucking hate Samurai Shoulder. I don't <laughs> yeah, see yeah, you yeah. as that type of person. So, you know, some people are going to ask your opinion, and when people ask your opinion, you're a smart, articulate person, so you're going to give an in-depth about a, a reason. You're not just going to say, I hate this game because I hate this game. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. I had my reasons, but... Again, like I, I shouldn't have been so out there with that. I mean, nah, I, I, shoot, I'd be playing Mortal Kombat 11, and I have some friends that don't like it. I mean, it, it is what it is at this point. Yeah. Now, favorite fighting game player of all time, and then favorite one to commentate. Oh wow, um, favorite player. Who's <laughs> my favorite player? I feel like I should have an answer to this, but nothing really jumps to mind. Maybe that's because uh, I've seen so many and I know so many of them so personally that it doesn't really feel like there's like mystique about it. Hmm. Interesting. They're just some folks who I know <laughs> and they're really good at video games. Yeah, I guess you, you, if anyone would know them, it'd be you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Man, who's my favorite, though? I could give you some. Just to... I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking about names. I guess I guess I would probably say maybe Justin Wong and yeah. uh, Itabashi Zangief. That makes sense. Biohazard. That also makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think, I guess that's whatever. That's what I'll go with. That's fine. Um, I don't know Itazan personally very well. I mean, I've said hello to him over the years, but... And by the way, he does speak a little bit of English, so, like, we, we have had a conversation. But he lives in Japan. I don't see him very often, so we're not, we're not close. Right. Uh, Justin, um, I used to spend a lot of time with. He used to live here in Los Angeles, in the L.A. area. And so, yeah, I mean, we would, we would hang out pretty often. Um, we, he and I used to play not uncommonly. Uh, I lived... I went to D.C. I went to a law school in D.C., I should say. And he came down to our locals sometimes to play, even out there when he was in, living in New York. And then he moved out to L.A., and I moved out to L.A. Where I'm from originally L.A. I moved back here. And um, so, we, you know, we just happened to, like, be living in the same areas for quite a while. We played against each other quite a bit. And that was super fun, but also very different than anybody else. I've played a lot of really good players. I mean, I've played, even in tournament, I've played players like Tokido and Daigo. Wow. And, no, and nobody, in my, in my experience, nobody has ever boiled a fighting game down and dominated me as much as Justin. It is, it's a feeling that I just, when you're playing against some people, even if you lose, you can kind of feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel. Like, okay, if I played this player a lot, I can see some things that like I, sh I could do, I should do, or at least like, here's, so here's the thing to work on. What if I had landed that combo? Maybe I could have won. Like, you know, there's, you're not so far away is your feeling. For Justin, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know what to do. And I, even still, I haven't played him in years at this point, but I feel like it would probably be the same way. 
he he just takes away options. I mean, not really, right? Like it's not actually gone, but the way that he plays makes the opponent feel, and I certainly feel like I don't know what to do at some <laughs> point. And and that so you know playing against it is one thing, but I, I think that that makes me respect him a lot um, in a way that yeah, I mean honestly, only only players like him. I don't know that I have anybody else on that list. Like, Valle maybe is close to that too, but it's it's really Justin who I think stands out. And and yeah, okay, I'm gonna go with Justin as my. That's actually a good one. Uh, he is in my favorite too. I honestly, my favorite could be kind of vague though because it's I I'm always a fan of like the player not really the player i guess it's always happened to be the player that's dominant in one particular game but i would say the player that could play multiple games at a high level just because like i'm such a person that like i have so many different interests that like it's probably why i'm not good at anything that i need to actually sit down and focus on one thing so i can actually be good at it but like the punks of the world the justin wong's the sonic fox and like how they're able to play multiple games at a high level. Like I would take that over anything. Like if I can just play multiple games at a high level, those are my favorite players. Cause I, I like seeing how they go about certain things. Cause it's, it's also sure. cool to see, you know what I'm saying? The top players in this game, but like, I, I would never want to be the top player in like Mortal Kombat 11. And then DNF duel comes out and I don't play because I have to be the top player in Mortal Kombat 11. Like mm-hmm. if I can still place pretty high in DNF duel and play pretty high in Mortal Kombat 11, I'd rather be that player. So that way you don't get burnt out too. And like, I yeah. just, I love seeing that. And also, I don't know if it's cause I like wanted to live this lifestyle or I'm just uh, such a nerd. I like the behind the scenes. I like how people like, I like seeing how, how they got to the problem, I guess, if you will, if it was like a math problem, but like, I would love to just see Justin Wong in training mode versus not like versus somebody, but like see his thought process, see what kind of things he's doing to get that kind of neutral to where he's always in the right position at every single time, or just how the fact he could commit to that lame style, but still body you in every sort of facet. So the wild thing about Justin is that he's not in training. Really? really? Training. Oh, oh yeah. my god! Oh, no way. No, I mean he he spent like who knows how many thousands of hours effectively in training mode just at the arcade. He's you know he spent his childhood essentially at the arcade in New York. So I mean it's not like he started out being the best. I'm sure there's like natural talent in there probably right, but mm-hmm. he also spent who honestly ten thousand hours like a ton of time in there. So in the arcade, you don't have a training mode, but like if you're trying to get good and you have that much time, you figure things out that are going to be applicable to a bunch of different games. And Justin is an example of the kind of player you're talking about who um, was a top level, is a top level player at everything. He won 100 tournaments this year. Like that was one of his goals was to win 100 tournaments online in as many different games as he could find. And he did it. It's already, it's, the year's not even over. He already did it. So he's he is that kind of guy too, um, and yeah, I mean it's it is a trip to me to see. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, speaking of um, Samurai Showdown, one story that I remember is I went to CEO and Justin was playing uh, Samurai Showdown for the first time with somebody else who had been playing the game a lot. It had come out like not too long before that, and this guy who he was playing against is a really good player. He's a really good Street Fighter player. He's really good at other games too. And he was playing the character Tam Tam, and Justin was like, oh, I'd like to play Tam Tam. So they played a Tam Tam game. The other guy won the first, I think, two. And then Justin won every single one after that. He never lost a game in this mirror in a game that he had just started playing. 
Jesus. And it's, yeah, I mean, he is so fast on the uptick. Super fast on the uptick. But, you know, you have to view that as not like, oh, this guy is coming in with zero hours. He's coming in with, again, many, many, many thousands of hours collectively in all these different games. And he's figured out a way to apply that to every. And it's just, to me, it's so fascinating because I know, like, when I just don't play a game for like a week and then I hop on that game, I feel so weird on it. The fact that he's going to tournaments playing multiple games and still placing super high in all of them is insane. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he, Justin Wong is literally a unicorn. Like, it's actually insane. Um, So, do you have a favorite player to commentate then? Oh, um, hmm. Um, you know, I don't think so. I think, I think to be honest, I don't really think that I do have a favorite player to commentate. I think that's because I feel that there are so many fun things to say, regardless of play style. Say that somebody is, talk, talking about Justin, he's very slow, how he approaches matches, cool with timing out. Even if he's down in life, he'll be slow about it. He won't rush it. So that gives me on commentary a lot of time. I get to analyze the really man- footsies and spacings and i get to express my full thoughts without having to switch constantly and that's cool i really like that on the other side there are players who play super super fast and are making big bets all the time and of course that's really fun on on commentary too that way i get to get hype there's more to say it's more little bits to analyze so rather than having a deep dive on something i get to say a lot of different stuff all all the time and in between there's any number of other things I, I like telling different people's stories. I wouldn't want to keep telling the same person's story all over the all over the place. I think it's great that you know with so many different players, I get to talk about their different backgrounds and their different approaches to games and their different histories within games. And that's I think that's what I enjoy. Rather than one person's play, I view my you know my preferences on commentary are based around around me and what i like and i would not want to be doing the same thing over and over again like with commentating one particular player hmm. i respect that answer i haven't had the luxury of commentating any of his matches yet but if i had to pick one i would say i think smug just because smug mm-hmm has the presence to mind of like when he kind of like he almost knows when the camera's on him he does and, he absolutely does and just just having that like it's that's something else to talk about and like that dead air because you know everybody's always so focused and stuff like that and like i feel like some people forget that the whole point of this is to have fun so it's yeah, just yeah dude I, I think that's i think that's a good pick i like that and i will say that i think one of the cool things that different personalities afford you on commentary is that you get to approach them differently so for smug I yeah I agree it's really fun to commentate him because I know that I can mess around a lot I can make fun of him and he's cool with that I can I can tell jokes in a way that I think that I wouldn't for somebody else who I may not know as well or or who um who isn't as cool with the kind of like you know he's he has very self-effacing humor like he's just he's a really funny guy in general but like a lot of his humor is based in like making fun of himself as well as whatever else is going on so on commentary I feel like I can do that but for other people, it's, it's also fun, I think, or, or interesting anyway, on commentary, to get somebody who I don't know as well or who isn't as cool on, uh, with jokes, isn't sort of as comfortable, because there's a lot of other stuff to say. And so I'm saying the other stuff in those cases. And so again, like, I just I want to have variety. I think that's what I like most on commentary. 
I definitely think you could get that out of pools for sure. Um, is there any like one tip or advice that you could give to any young commentators such as myself or anyone now aspiring to be a commentator? I think the biggest tip is to make sure that you're being yourself. Mm. I think that may, might sound like a cop out. No, that's, that's valid. That's I think valid. that's really important. Yeah. It's natural to get into commentary emulating people who you think are really good or whose style that you like or who, who you want to do the same kind of style as. Pretty natural. I felt that I did that. I was, a, you know, I was one of the first um, big fighting game commentators, but I had watched a lot of StarCraft over the years. And so I, was really, I really liked Tasteless and Artosis. Um, and their style had a big impact on me. Because I sounded quite a bit like them at the beginning until I kind of found my own footing. And I think that that's the same kind of thing that I've seen over the years. Each sort of like generation of new commentators sound like the previous generation for a while. And then they figure it out and they sound like themselves and then they're super, super good. So like you mentioned, Sejam, I think he's an example of that. He's, I agree, one of my favorite commentators. Extremely good. At the beginning, he sounded a lot like some other people, uh, including me. He sounded, he sounded a lot like, like, like me. And he... And I think that made sense because, like, we're in the same area. You know, I was on streams a lot. But when he got really strong was when he found his own voice. And he's that's many years ago at this point, of course. Right. Um, and he's, he's been so, so good. And I think that's true for sort of the next gen um, of, of commentators, uh, you know, who sound like Sejam, in my opinion. <laughs> like, I feel like they, they uh, emulated him, which, again, makes sense. He's so good. Um, but... N- it's when they then find their own voice that I think that they really become. Um, so, you know, it's, again, it's cool to emulate other people and it's cool to um, choose the things that you think that they do well and try them yourself. But the problem with that long-term is that there already is a Sage or a Tasty Steve or Yipes or whatever mm-hmm. style you think is good. And they're already out there commentating. Um, so there's not... It's not just that people don't want to hear the same thing again. It's that, like, that's, it's already been done. Um, and in, if you want to make a bigger mark and find more opportunities for yourself, a really good way to do it is to bring your own voice. Some people will like it. Not everybody's going to like it. Not everybody likes my commentary. You know, not everybody likes... N- nobody has a 100% fan rate. Like, everybody has... People just different, prefer different things. Um, so if you find your own style and you have people who like that style, they will ask that you commentate more than if you were just like a facsimile of somebody else. So I think that mm-hmm. there's a, there's a really good, um, reason to try to find your own voice. Now, I think that there's a lot of similarities between what top commentators do. I don't necessarily mean in terms of how they sound, but in terms of how they approach situations, of how they how they kind of mix up between narration or analysis or storytelling or whatever it may be. So I, I do think that there's like a sort of broad set of not exactly rules, but common practices maybe is a good way to phrase it that most top commentators do, but they manage to also find themselves um, speaking really differently and, and addressing different things with different senses of humor and all the different things, different cadences, yada, yada. So yeah, that's um, extremely important to find your own voice. I I 100% agree with that. Obviously, I'm not nearly any sort of level towards you, but like just 
my little inexperience of commentating a lot is like I, I'm a naturally goofy guy and I like saying some out there things so it's kind of always hard when you get the comparisons to Yipes and Tasty Steve which I love I mean that is two greats in their own right but sure, I'm, I'm sure. my own person so it's like I know like when so I'm going to Frosty Faustings and I know that I'm going to study my ass off and I'm not going to watch a single thing just because I don't want to pick up on any other lingo or mannerisms or anything like okay. that. I want to yeah, be my own person. Um, that's like you yeah, said. I, I, I agree with you that it's it's flattering to be compared to other commentators who you look up to. That's not a bad thing. But I think you're totally right as well that it's it's important to have your own style like, I think taking influence is good. I certainly think that part of what has pushed me on commentary to continue to try to get better is that there are some other really And it's in listening that I find new approaches or new things to say and not necessarily copy the lingo or whatever it may be, but, like, they... I, there's a lot of inspiring people doing commentary, and so I, I do think that it's good to listen to them as long as the lessons that you take from listening to them aren't let me copy this verbatim and rather like, Oh, they approach this in that way. I'll think about doing that. Or maybe that makes you think about another way to approach it that you hadn't thought about before. Or maybe. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And if I had to give any advice to anyone out there, listen, that if they care for my two cents, I would just say, make it sound as natural as possible. Make it sound like a conversation. I feel like you get the best out of each other. If it's, doesn't like like this for instance i don't want this to feel like an interview at all i am asking questions i am pausing and asking those questions but i don't want dave to david to feel like he's getting interviewed i want it to be as organic as possible like cracking jokes laughing da, 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 and that's how i want my commentary to feel because it's like i i always i don't know if anyone else does this but what i picture whenever i do commentary i picture like like i'm in a room right and it's two doorways and like one doorway, my grandma walks in. She knows nothing about any sort of fighting games. And she's just watching at the screen. And then the next room is this sweaty neck beard glasses gamer of a gamer. Know the intricate details of frame data of every single fighting game ever made. And he's watching and he's like judging the hell out of me. So I try to blend both worlds to where I can say something. And they're both like, oh, I get it because I just seen that on the screen. So that's that's how I've always viewed conversation. Why I have that picture in my head, I don't know, but that's just been oh, my picture cool. <laughs> this whole time. Uh, so Ultra Chin being one of the greatest duels of all time. What? How does that feel to know that like y'all are a duo and y'all are one of the greatest of all time? And then two, how long did it take to get to that point? Hmm. Well, it's pretty cool um, to know that people would say that about you. Um, and I appreciate it. I don't know that I ever get over that. I don't know that it ever feels not unusual to me uh, for people to have that perspective. I don't know. I just and I are friends and it just feels very normal um, to us. But I, I get it, you know, I, and, I, and I appreciate it. I think that's really cool. We started commentating together in, oh man, I, I want to say 2009. And the way that that happened is we, ha- we, we lived close to each other at the, here in the LA area. And we were pretty regularly going to the arcade or whatever was going on, you know. So we, we, we got to know each other at around the time. But, but really what was happening was 
um, uh, Level Up was formed. Vae and Jimmy and the other people who were involved with it formed it in that time. And they began doing the early, early precursor to Wednesday Night Fight. That was just out of um, our buddy's garage. And that was a that was when streams were starting. I mean, this is 2009. I don't know if I don't think it was called Twitch.tv yet. I think it was still Justin.tv. And so it's super super early. And they Alex knew that James and I knew Street Fighter Four well because we had been playing a lot. Like we've been pretty pretty good in tournaments. Um, and he also thought that we both were good at expressing that. James had been doing FAQs going back to the 90s in fighting games. Um, so he was known as somebody who really wanted to help educate the community, e- even at that point, for a dozen or 15. And I had been doing similar, although not as much as he had, on the SRK forums. I had made threads for, for Q and for Zangief and for Dalsim and for whatever other characters that I was playing to try to help people out. And so Vi knew that these, this was important. So he asked us to commentate. And it was very, very, very small scale, 100 people or something, which felt like it was, you know, 10,000 people. It was so, so strange to be talking to that many people. But, but he asked us to, and so we kept coming back to that Wednesday Night Fights um, and, and doing it. And it just became, um, became very natural because we only were commentating with each other at that time. And even for... I would say the first year, year and a half was really only with each other. It's very rare that we were commentating with anybody else. So there were so many opportunities for us to get to know each other on the mic. There are also many, many, many hours of us just hanging out. We would drive, like I said, we live close to each other. We'd drive to the arcade or to Wednesday Night Fights. And that, those drives are about an hour and a half, two hours usually. So we had a ton of time to hang out. We'd go to dinner. And we, you know, we just were friends. Um, so we have we have a rapport that we developed pretty early of just like being cool with each other and you know I think he's really funny and and we tell each other jokes and that's like that's just our kind of in the car driving to the arcade our banter is basically the same as what the commentary turned into so I think being able to hang out as much as we did and being able to commentate as much as we did was huge we would do an event and on the drive home we would discuss how commentary went. I would say, hey, James, I think you handled this really well. And James would say, like, hey, I think you handled this really well, but, like, maybe consider doing this instead. And I would be like, oh, interesting idea. Have you thought about doing whatever else? And so we would just banter back and forth and analyze each other's commentary and improved a lot just based on that. And, of course, at the same time, like, we're becoming better friends and feeling more comfortable with each other on commentary. And since many of the ideas that we both had on commentary were from each other, it became really, really easy uh, while we're commentating for me to know, like, what's James's next move? What's he likely to do? What's he likely to say? Which moments does he want to cover? Is he going to be the one who does this winning moment? Like, how is he going to attack this situation? I feel like I know that stuff because we had so much practice together because, um, because many of our ideas came from each other. So it was it's kind of a unique situation that we found ourselves in. Um, neither of us intended or even considered as an option of doing commentary. Like it wasn't a thing beforehand. There were only uh, tiny events and so rare. Nobody considered themselves like a commentator in that way. So we happened to get asked to do it. And I think that's such a great feeling that not only did you guys start at the same time, that you guys were able to 
you know, peer-to-peer review each other and mm-hmm. the fact that you guys didn't take it as a dig. You, you guys took it to get to better. And the fact that y'all were both pushing each other. Like, you don't get that strong of a duo if unless if one person is working the less than the other person. Like Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. And yeah, I mean, for sure, we both were working a lot at it. You know, if you go back and listen to our commentary when we began doing big events in 2010, and even for the next few years, it's a lot worse. Like, it was at the time when there weren't that many people doing commentary in the same way. It was okay. It was just not... Like, if we began commentating at that level today, it wouldn't work. N- nobody would hire us. Um, so we, we happen to be lucky enough not just to find each other and to do commentary with each other, but to be able to do it so early uh, in streaming and in commentary because the expectations were low, to be perfectly honest. And so we got to keep getting better without the sort of expectation of us being immediately, immediately better. Because mm-hmm. the expectations were where, you know, it was growing. Expectations were growing as we were getting better and as the few other people began commentating. Um, so I think that if, if we had found ourselves in a different place in time, even if we had found our way onto commentary, I don't know that it would have worked out in the same way. I think that it would not have. We just happened to have all these hours of going to Wednesday Night Fights and the run back, the weekly arcade stuff, and, and of, uh, you know, being a couple of the few consistent voices on commentary. It's not like we were the only people who were asked to. Uh, there were other people who were asked to commentate, and they just had other stuff. I mean, they had life. They had work. They couldn't do it every time. And, and James and I happened to have careers that were flexible enough that we could do that. And um, also, yeah, not just to mention, you had lucky. that like respect too. Like you guys were in the forums, you guys were at the, sure. the arcades yeah, yeah. and things of that nature. So it was like, I felt like the whole community could get behind you while you guys are trying this new thing because they are especially as a player. So now it's like, all right, oh yeah, he knows what he's talking about in this kind of thing. I think that's true at the beginning. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Uh, I'm I'm sure that a big part of why we had the credibility to be able to commentate was that people at that time knew us as good players. I mean, nobody would say that either of us was the best player. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't it. But like, we were good enough that the things that we said felt respectable. And I mean, honestly, over the years, our skills have fallen off for both of us. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think at the beginning, that was really important. The FGC was so grassroots and so driven by um, who sort of who, who could beat who that was so important and sort of like hierarchy of the FGC that if we weren't at least pretty good, it would have been really tough for us to get going. Hmm. Also, shout out to Alex Vibe. Man, it seems like he needs a documentary or something. He's always in oh, somebody's... Dude, he's, such a, he's such a good dude. Uh, he's had a remarkable career, um, not just as a player, but yeah, for sure, as a, as a streamer and, and as a TO. He's done all the things. He's, he's somebody who I think, I, I think a lot of, for sure. Yeah, I uh, I've had the luxury of meeting him once, but I, I when I do, I do want to say I'm a big fan and uh, give him his flowers. Um, is it also weird, kind of, to go back to the duo part? Is it weird or cool to be a part of these like legendary moments in the FGC and hear your voice? Oh, it was weird for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can recall a few situations where I would just be walking around like, at a tournament and hear my voice blasting out of a speaker from some replay. Yeah, that <laughs> was weird. weird. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've gotten used to it, and now it doesn't really 
uh, freak me out anymore. I have gotten used to how my voice sounds. I have to listen to my own voice pretty often. I try to listen back and, and hear my commentary uh, so that I can find things that I think I still need to work on. And I've been doing that for so long that it doesn't really freak me out anymore. I dig that. I dig that. What is your... Hmm, I don't know how I wanted to wear this question. I wanted to say your favorite tournament or... Like, do you have a favorite tournament? Do you mean, like, a, a favorite single event or, like, a series? That's, see, that's what I was trying to think. I didn't know which one I wanted to wear. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you have one for both, go ahead and give us both. You know what I'm saying? Sure, yeah. yeah I think my favorite series is Combo Breaker. Uh, I really... Well, I should just say the Chicago Major in general. It was UFGT, and then it, like, turned into Combo Breaker, effectively. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's that series. It's run so well. Um, both of those tournaments run super fantastically with such a cool community emphasis and the people involved are some of my really really good friends um and i always had a blast at them and the matches were always really fun to commentate they were always really cool to watch when i wasn't commentating they became huge after all right i mean combo breaker is like one of the big ones you see it has been for for a long time um, I think that that's my favorite overall. Yeah. And as far as like an individual event, I think, I think I don't really have one. Mm. And part of why this may sound silly, but I've been to too many of them and it's really hard for me to remember what happened at any one of them. That's fair. That, that I is, mean, honestly, that's... like I don't have a very good memory for um, like autobiographical stuff. Uh, anybody uh, will tell you that about me. I just, I, it's really hard for me to remember what I did yesterday or what I was doing a year ago. Um, so when it comes to like my memories at tournaments, not that I don't have any, but it feel it's, it's more like I remember moments and you know, yeah, that may have happened at a particular tournament, but there's no tournament. I think that I had so many more of those moments at uh, than any other. I think I just had a blast at a ton of them. I've always kind of said, like, I mean, this is just me obviously being from outside looking in. Like, hopefully, Lord willing, that the pandemic doesn't get too out of hand that we have combo breaker next year and I could go to my yep. very first one. But I've yep. always kind of said, like, Evo is like, I want to say, like, the Super Bowl, that event that they probably use to advertise to people, like, can the FGC make money? I said, like, for the theatrics and, like, just the fun of the FTC, I would say go to CEO. And then I would say, like, Combo Breaker's, like, the heart of it because it's always some yeah. sort of game that nobody, like, only two people play, but it's going to have a full-on tournament. <laughs> That's true. It's yeah, all a bunch yeah. of love. And, like, I just love what they do. That's why I'm kind of glad that I'm from the Midwest and then we got Combo Breaker, so I have to go and show love to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool that different tournaments have different feelings, uh, different feels. Uh, I love CEO for sure, and I've I love Evo. I've been going there. First one I went to was in '03 or '04. I don't know, a long time ago. That's it happened to be sick. in SoCal, and I happen to live in SoCal, so it was easy for me to go. But yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a ton of great events. I think what jumps out to me, I mean, it is is not just, or maybe not even primarily, what happened in game or on commentary or while I was playing in a tournament. I think it's more like hanging out with friends afterward or or hanging out with friends during the tournament like I, i'm not commentating we're just sitting in the crowd 
making jokes and stuff like that. Like it's really it's really more of those moments that I think of when I think about like what my favorite events were. And I think that's why I keep forgetting about the FGC. It's so like I maybe Twitter is just a bad place because like I <laughs> I be thinking like uh, me talking to Ultra David would never happen, and here we are talking on the podcast. So that's always kind of weird. Where I'm like, oh yeah, these are people that are like cool as fuck. <laughs> like, it's always kind of <laughs> weird that that FGC is a part of that, but it's also a sick fill. Now to get weird, evil, and toxic, you ain't gotta say no names because obviously you're a working man and you make a lot of money while we work in these events. But to get a little toxic, what was the worst event you ever worked? Can you tell us a story at least? You ain't gotta mm. say the name of event, but okay, it? yeah. Uh, hmm. Okay, I think I think the most obvious contender for that is Canada Cup in. I'm gonna say 2018. It's either 27 or 2018. I guess I don't remember. Now. And that was that was an event. I mean, even the people who ran Canada Cup will tell you that it did not go well. Um, they that year were part of a really big like gaming expo. Um, and the gaming expo just limited them in gigantic ways. So um, it's not it's not fair to say that like it's just the Canada Cup folks' issue. Mm-hmm. It's it was, I mean, they could have done better for sure. But but the it was the larger event. Like <laughs> they um, they turned the lights off on us. Oh, no. uh, they limited how many setups we could have. So tournament took forever. Uh, they um they were having power issues the whole time uh it's a very tiny space especially compared to the rest of the event lots of space to walk around in the rest of the event the fgc area was a very small part of it even though there were many hundreds of people just there for canada cup um that sucked the the uh screen that uh people were watching on the crowd was watching on uh, got shut off at some point and they wouldn't turn it back on oh my god just like all these really bad issues uh there was there were other logistical issues that were bad and it just it was a real bummer of an event now was that the canada cup where some guy entered i think it was street fighter twice or something like that he entered some game twice Could remember be. That? i don't remember i do remember that happening yeah if it was that event i couldn't tell you but i wouldn't be surprised considering all the other stuff that happened that year and I remember the staff being like really like sorry and like everybody yeah. was coming to their aid like it's not their fault. It was kind of their, that yeah, that sounds yeah. Awful. It was that was a bummer. So probably that one. Um, as far as other stuff, like I mean, I'm thinking like real, real early. Uh, the in fact the first or maybe at least one of the first majors that I commentated was what was it called? Active Gamers, I think. This is run by a guy who just like promised to pay out and did not. You know, he was just was he, he kind of screwed people over on money. Um, so that was bad, and that was actually took place in a in an auditorium in a gymnasium actually, where there was also like a volleyball tournament going on at the same time. That sounds like so, the worst place to do comedy. Super weird, super weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was a bummer too. And you know, I mean, not every event's great. I think a lot of events. Um, over the years have have had issues and this is true for for many different organizers you know nobody's perfect but i think that for the most part in the fgc like i go to an event and i have a good time even if there are certain issues or whatever it may be i think on the whole my experience at events has almost always been really positive have you ever had like a terrible moment on commentary 
or like something bad happened? Mm, not that I can think of. No. Uh... Well, that's a good thing. Consider <laughs> yourself so. lucky. Well, I mean, I think there are moments where like I screwed up. I mean, I, I was thinking like, like, I regret that, but like, no, I don't know, nothing serious. Uh, I was thinking something bad, like there. Luckily, it's two hours away from like my hometown. Well, I'm in my hometown, but it's two hours away, and they're having Dragon Ball fighters. So this is like, I want to say maybe 2020, early 2020, pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it's like around January, and unfortunately, my cousin had passed like the year prior. Uh. But what we had done is for her birthday, we was gonna have like an event. So like this event is pretty much saying, "Hey, come up!" You know, what I'm saying we're having a local. It's gonna be huge at this venue. We want you to do Dragon Ball Fighters commentary. So I'm like, "Oh, this is cool. This is my moment. I can use this yeah. as footage." Da da da. Drive two and a half hours away. Mind you, my car needed oil change, so I was really risking oh, it. And so I'm at the event, I sign up, and one of my homies actually told me about the event. I've seen Smash, Smash is going crazy, got like 50 or 60 entries for the Midwest. It's pretty good, good numbers. Yeah. I think uh, Fighters had 20 or so. They was like, yeah, you're going to be doing solo commentary, which I've been practicing like off the Dragon Ball Fighters replays and stuff like that. So I was like, all right, I'm used to it anyway, and like, I'll just keep talking. Like I know what to say, but I just, uh, oh, we're going to a commercial break, stuff like that. I don't have that uh, repertoire, that practice. But I'm already nervous, shaking in my boots. I talked to my friend. And then they go, yeah, um, the stream's kind of running late for Smash, so we're not mm. going to do commentary for Dragon Ball. But you can still uh. answer. And I was like, nah, man, I came here for, oh, <laughs> for <sucks>. commentary. <laughs> that does suck. And then, so luckily, they did pay me for my gas, but I had to stop and get an oil change. So then I oh, came man. to the event for my cousin super late. And then, you know, obviously being the last family member to that event, and it's obviously we're trying to, like, celebrate her life and, and good moments. So everybody's excited. Oh, you just did commentary? How was it? Ah, well, oh, oh man, yeah. <laughs> Technically, right. I didn't do it, so that was probably the worst commentary moment that I've ever had. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. That is that definitely sounds tough. It was a long car ride. It was a it was a real long yeah. car ride. But luckily, yeah, uh, I mean, for me, I think that it, I didn't have moments like that because um, I just. I happen to have this real unusual situation of being asked to do it and er, so early on that there weren't expectations. So, I mean, I could think back to the few events that I went to commentate and there wasn't a stream, but it didn't feel like a big deal because, you know, there, there just wasn't the sort of expectations of like, we need to have comment. And there wasn't, there wasn't the whole system of, um, you know, submitting a reel for commentary choice. Like, it's just it's just a really different situation. So when things didn't work out, it didn't seem like a big deal because we just hadn't developed the scene to the point where I think I certainly understand why it's a big deal for for that kind of situation today. Hmm. I dig it. I dig it. Now, I want to know. This is. I think this is my last favorite question, but. Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you have like some sort of device where it was like a glove and you were using it for like fighting games? You had like, uh, not... or was it like split? Like it was a controller. Yes, that was... it's split. It's it's basically like a hitbox style stickless layout, and it's split. Yeah, it's split in the middle, so I can separate the two halves. 
which is insane so my question to you is like what is your favorite like device to use on fighting games because oh it's that thing man it's a split box yeah but no surprise right i'm the one who designed it so of course it's gonna fit me <laughs> you know um it's exactly what i was looking for wait hold on and you made that i made it yeah what the fucking hell? Yo, that's insane yeah no i've actually been making sticks since uh, about 2004 really and obviously at that time it wasn't anything fancy yeah my first stick was just i like fit you know however six slabs of wood together whatever cheap mdf you could buy at home depot or whatever it was whatever was cheap and it was not pretty that's for sure but yeah i've been doing it since then it's just a fun little side hobby um i didn't do it for some years but i got back into it in i would say 2017 and the reason that i did was not just that it's a fun hobby that i really enjoy but because um i had and i guess i still have um impinged nerve in my neck and a whole bunch of joint and nerve issues in general um and so i i actually quit competing at evo 2012 after i lost there and didn't compete again until 2019 um um, for, for a long time because I just couldn't control my hands uh, oh, so wow. I was I had real bad ergonomic issues and just massive pain and loss of control and um, it was yeah it, it sucked it was a really tough time for me um, and so I wasn't competing I wasn't even really playing as often at home casually or with friends and eventually I just got tired of that and you know I got to a point where my body was just falling apart so much that I needed to take care of it it just was you know, I, my rotator cuffs were tearing without me doing anything. My knees were hyperextending. Like, just was gnarly. Oh my uh, God. So I, I, got, I got to a point where I needed to take care of it. And so I began to think more about how to do that. So part of it has been physical therapy. That's actually been probably the biggest part. But the other part has been trying to make things as ergonomic for myself as possible. So I picked up, like, a vertical mouse, and I picked up an ergonomic keyboard and all these things to try to, try to not be in pain and to sort of regain some of the lost control that I had. One of those things is the split box. The reason that it works for me is that um, grasping a joystick was painful for many years. Just the, the, the act of holding it and trying to grasp it enough to control it was like actively painful. So I needed to switch to a button-only layout. And I'm really fidgety. Hard for me to stay in the same spot for a long time. So the split aspect is great because... I get to position myself wherever I want to. The halves can split as far apart as you have an Ethernet cord. My, the one that I use is about five feet. So, you know, it splits further away than I, than I needed to. So I'll get into weird positions where, like, my, I'll be playing on a couch, and, like, my left hand will be at the top of the couch, like, on the top back of the couch with one half, and the other half will be, like, down on my right knee or something just super weird. Um, because... In order to feel comfortable, I need to just be able to move constantly. Um, and I felt that I tried a hitbox out, hitbox brand hitbox. And I didn't like that because it really requires that you be in this very tight uh, uh, situation. Your, your, your arms need to be in a tight, straight path. And that was painful for me. So being able to separate my arms, come at them from whatever angle I want, um, come at them not just from whatever angle in terms of like flat angle, um, but also like maybe I want... Maybe I want my left hand to be almost vertical, so I'll prop up one half, um, the left half, like, kind of on my leg, so that it's taking almost a vertical position. 
all these different things that I can do with it. And that has been really, really key for me in being able to play and, and control myself again. So yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I think that it's really, really nice. I'm still iterating on it. I bought a 3D printer earlier this year in part to try to make additional prototypes for it. What I had been doing before was um, initially I was making stuff out of wood. I then began making stuff out of Lexan plastic stuff. And then for the split box, the, the initial pieces were out of wood again. And then I, I found a company that would laser cut some plastic. So I you know, designed all these little pieces that would need to be laser cut and kind of pop them out like it's a 3D puzzle and then fit them together in a way that I had, I had figured out previously before I ordered the pieces. Um, so now I'm trying to do 3D printing instead. It's definitely what I always thought that I should be doing. I just didn't have one. And so yeah, the process of, of designing and iterating on it, it's not over. I feel like I'll probably still be doing that for quite a while to come. That is fascinating. Well, first and foremost, are you, are you healthier now? Like, not oh as yeah, much pain. yeah. I mean, it'll never be 100. percent I'll never have 100 percent hand control, and I always have a little bit of pain. And I, um, I always have just a little bit of. There's kind of like a fiery feeling, skin on fire kind of feeling. Um, you know, it kind of pins and needles, like you sat on your foot for too long or something. It's, it's kind of like that. So it's much less, much less than it was before, and I have way more control. I mean, it got to a point where like I needed to ask my friends or my wife or whatever to open up a jar for myself. I couldn't open a jar. Oh, wow. I definitely was not using a knife to cut food. I'll tell you that. Um, so it's, it's so much better than it was before. Won't be 100%. But yeah, I, I appreciate you asking me. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing a lot better. And like, I, I just remember like going to like, you know, up down or those gaming bars and playing on those old arcades. And like, yeah, you would actually have to crank the stick. And I remember like my yeah. forearms being on fire. So I couldn't imagine losing that sense of nerve. And like, wow, that is, that is interesting. I mean, uh, honestly, the reason that I stayed in the FGC was that I was doing commentary. If not, if I didn't have that, and I certainly couldn't compete, I couldn't control myself in-game. I mean, like, I would notice, I would get hit, and I would think, oh, I was blocking, and I would look down, and my hand would actually be in the forward position rather than the back position. Like, wow. just I just couldn't control it. Um, so without commentary, I think I just would have quit and left the scene. So I consider myself really lucky, not just for this reason, for many, but in part of the reasons I think I'm so lucky to have been on commentary was that it kept me in the scene when I, I couldn't really compete. I did not know that because I saw like, I think I saw a little bio that, yeah, I said you retired, but I never knew why you retired. And now that I know that, that's damn. That is... It was a tough time for a few years. Yeah, Man. yeah, it, it, it certainly contributed to, you know, feeling depressed for a while and yeah, it sucked. It sucked. I'm really glad to be past that. And I'm glad you you are. And also, also, I'm kind of glad in a way. Hopefully, this makes sense after I say it. That you knew the reason. Like I, I have like a torn rotator cuff, okay, and yeah. or like labrum. Like it's kind of, but it's mm -hmm. to the point where it's like it's more of a physical therapy point. Like it's like yeah, you, you pretty much have to keep tearing it to the point where you can actually get surgery. Right, so now it's just a painful like aching and stuff like that and i'll just wake up with these body pains and i play football and all that stuff so i was like i hate this feeling of i'm getting old but i'm not even 30 yet so it's like jesus like what's going on with my body and i i always want to know like what's going on and what i could do to prevent stuff like this but you just never know and that's the luxury of like the health system and stuff like that it's just i i think for me i, I used to play a lot of sports too i played football and hockey 
uh, mostly. I played a little bit of basketball too. And I think part of why I ended up having so many physical issues is that I, I did play such contact sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, I broke bones playing football, and I you know may have broken a couple bones playing hockey. I just didn't get tested at the time. And I had a bunch of sprains and torn this and that. And I think, I think having that really physical background was a big part of it too. But I also think that like, I just am more prone to it probably than most people. So it's a combination of those two, I think. And I think another thing too is like people don't know how to deem pain. Like I didn't know my labrum was torn until I asked the doctor while I was getting the physical, hey, is this popping normal? And then like, hold on, does it hurt? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, your shoulder's probably torn. And I was like, what the fuck? Because I can still move and do all this stuff. And I'm like, wait, right. I have a tear? And he's like, yeah, it's probably fucked up. I was like, oh, I did not know that. I didn't know that was a thing. I mean, the first time that I noticed lack of control was probably around 2009, I guess. Um, and the way that I noticed it was that I wasn't hitting combos in in Street Fighter, and I was just dropping a lot of stuff, and I began not to be able to, like I said, even even block sometimes. I didn't know what was up. Why was that happening? I don't know. I knew that I also had extreme neck pain and back pain and all sorts of other stuff. So when I <laughs> I went to the doctor finally because it was so painful, and it and then it was explained like, oh, you have this impinged nerve. I it was in my spine, in my in my neck. And that's the nerve that just happens to go down to where your hands are. It happens to be in control of um, controlling your hands. So it was causing this pain, but it just also, you know, happened to be also causing lack of control. And so I I figured out what was up around 2010. And I gave it a couple more years of competing. But eventually it just, you know, was very obvious. I I wasn't going to be able to do it. Was, well, I got one more, but after this is on this topic was it like was fighting games aggravating it like since you were constantly using your hands and patting the buns and like was that aggravating it more or it didn't really no, matter i don't think that it was aggravating it yeah it was it was just deteriorating on its own um i mean like i said i think that having played so many sports probably did have an impact but you know i stopped the last time i played hockey was i don't even know i was in my 20s and i'm 30 eight now i so never would have guessed ago. that what the um, fuck <laughs> and uh and so it, it kept tearing anyway you know i'm not doing anything I'm just like sitting around the house basically i wasn't even going to the gym for a long and it just was tearing it so it, it playing wasn't making it worse it just was bad um and then like i said it got to a point where i began not to be able to lift my arms and i and i even just the position of driving where like you're holding your arms up a little bit like that was really painful. so i just had to go to the doctor eventually and um they prescribed physical therapy so i went to physical therapy and i happened to find a really really great physical therapist who was not just really good at the classic sort of like sports injuries but also very knowledgeable about how to deal with nerve issues and and rebuilding brain nerve connections in hands or whatever the extremities are and so you know this they were Extremely, extremely important to me in hurting less and regaining control. And now I have this whole routine of physical therapy that I do every single morning. Hmm. And like, if I don't for even just a few days, you don't it feel hurts. it. <laughs> yeah, I heard, I feel it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd rather not have the issue. But on the other hand, like, it's nice that I, because I have this issue, I absolutely have to either stay in shape or my arms fall off. Like, it's one of those two. Jesus. I have to stay in shape. 
And like, yeah, I know I'm gonna have to get to that point <laughs> where I need to go to physical therapy because like I it hurts to sleep on my right side. I have to like sleep on my left. And like I I'm doing a thing and like this might be TMR, but you know what I'm saying? This is the run back, so we give you goofy ass stories. Like, I'm so conscious that like I have a headboard and you know, obviously you wanna sleep where your headboard is that I try not to fart because I'm sleeping on the other <laughs> side so I can face the TV and lay on my left side. So I'm flipping. Oh, yeah, I know that feeling. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to be strategic. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to make sure I'm extra careful when I'm laying on that side so that mm-hmm. way I'm not uh, hurting my shoulder. But last thing on this topic, what positions did you play in football and hockey? Oh, yeah, uh, I played corner in football. Um, that was really fun. I really like so – and I played defense in hockey. I really like, so speaking earlier, to bring it back to the beginning of the conversation, uh, I like frustrating people. <laughs> and <laughs> so uh, I, got, I got a better feeling from stopping somebody who's on a breakaway than I did from being on a breakaway and scoring myself. I was super stoked to, uh, to like stop somebody. Or if I got an interception, super sick. Whereas if I just like caught a reception, I, I don't know, the ball was coming to me. Like I should be catching. Mm-hmm. Uh, right like whereas you know if i if i'm making the read if i understand enough about what the opponent's going to do uh then and i and i make this like specific read and i like execute on it to get an interception or whatever it may be uh dude the look on the other player's face was just that's why i did it. that was super the other reason i did it to be honest is that defensive positions tend to require um, less work <laughs> in the sense of uh, I mean, being really good. It takes a lot of work. But what I mean is like I didn't need to practice as much time um, dribbling the puck because I wasn't the guy who was supposed to score. I needed to think about what the other guy was going to do, who I was trying to stop. So I could just think about it. And obviously, again, there's practice, but like it's not the same as like being really good at throwing a perfect spiral like that's a, you really have to like work a lot on i didn't really have that kind of stuff in my position i just needed to be able to think and like understand what plays were likely to come that's part of why i liked it too which, which is crazy how you have both sides like you have that side of like you like being an intricate thinker and like analyzing things and knowing your information which is like the offensive side but then you're also like hey, i like to hit people make people mad and so <laughs> it's funny how you have like both sides to you i like playing corner too but my problem is like i have my eyes in the backfield too much so that's why i never like playing corner like i could do it it was fun when like they throw the ball near you you can try to intercept the ball but right. the scariest part is like when they do like a halfback toss and it's just you and like the halfback and a like yeah, guard yeah, pulling yeah. and you're like yeah, I don't want to get killed <laughs> yeah <clears throat> so that's why I yeah. stick to receiver I like having the ball in my okay. hands I like scoring a touchdown I, I totally get it I think that makes a lot of sense yeah I feel like I'm probably the the odder guy when it comes to uh, stuff that I like but I mean, hey, everybody likes what they like. Somebody has to play the yeah. position. So that's just, it's just funny to hear that. <laughs> like, yeah, I like choosing violence. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Uh, I definitely led my league in penalty minutes at least once. <laughs> Back in hockey. So then you used to get in fights too? Or I guess is that only nah, NHL? We, it wasn't serious enough for us to get in fights. But right. I, I definitely checked like way too I feel like with the NHL, that almost probably prevents more fights because you're never really going to see a brawl if you know you can just drop the gloves and I must spend fit five minutes in the penalty box, whatever. So that's that's, that's honestly one part of hockey that I didn't like. I didn't like that they got into fights. I just think it's stupid. Yeah, like I would, I don't know, just go to a, go to a fight. Like that you can go see fights. 
I, I liked hockey not for the fights, but because, I mean, I did like the physicality of it, but I, I'm much more like sort of speed of it, super fast. Like each shift, you're not breathing, basically. It's, you're just out there for like under a minute going as fast as I always thought that was like one of the fascinating for- sports because it's like you you don't even have your footing really like you have to learn a f- whole new skill just to play the sport as far as ice skating mm-hmm. goes like you, you have to yeah, be good at true. ice skating before you even get on there and I think also with the fighting is like it prevents it too in a way because it's like if you really wanted to fight me we could drop the gloves and fight for five minutes so it's <laughs> yeah. like do you really want to have this issue where you know yeah. playing football everybody wants to be rah rah tough tough stuff like that <laughs> I want to address the importance of like, you know, Yipes has his podcast, The Best of V, and mm-hmm. like I want to say that you guys have the fighting game podcast cuz I always feel like like CEO happened and it, it almost felt like outside of maybe Sejam and his streams that like no one really was going to talk about it and I always mm-hmm. enjoyed going to your guys' podcast and listening to you guys talk about it. And also I thought it was kind of interesting that you guys put it on SoundCloud. So my question is, like, how did the origin of the podcast come? And then also, did you get a lot of rappers DMing you, too, when you put it on SoundCloud? Because that happened to me. <laughs> did you really? Oh, man. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we did. I don't know. So long ago. Who knows? Um, we started doing that. Uh, when did we begin doing the show? In 2012. So, yeah, this is the 10th year. Pretty wild. Um, so we started it pretty early. and it was. It's just kind of, I mean, Twitch was just getting started. Like, we were, this is a true story. We were actually one of the first partnered channels on Twitch um, back then. Uh, And some of the other FGC streamers were, too. They're some of the first. Um, So, I mean, we heard from people that they couldn't tune in live. You know, everybody's got their own, you know, things that they need to do at that particular time. Not everybody has a free Tuesday night. Or maybe we do it too late for people, even. I mean, we're on the West Coast. Uh, so a lot of people asked us to put it somewhere that they could listen to it word, and yeah, we just put it up on whatever was there. I don't think SoundCloud was even very old when we put it up there. It was, it was not like a big service. It was just like some service that would host it. So it's been there for, yeah, for a long time at this point. Cause like, I do enjoy your podcast and I feel like, I appreciate the, that. The FGC needs more like news outlets, I guess, for podcasting, and that's like what I want to do because like I feel like everybody has a story and everybody's like interesting in a way. So you guys definitely deserve your flowers for that. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I would love to see more of that kind of stuff. Like, I think having a long form interview series is pretty cool as you're doing. Um, I think that there's there's a lot of room. I, I do like that there are there are different takes. Like we have this weekly thing, so you know we're trying to boil down all the stuff that happens in in an entire week i really like what sejam does like he talks news at the beginnings of most of his daily streams Mm -hmm. and that's that's oftentimes more like here's what happened like literally yesterday (laughs) um and so he can he can get into a little bit more detail and stuff because it's like not he does he does doing it every single day um so i i really like that angle on it and then yeah like yipes and his podcast i think is really great it's just hilarious they're just really funny people so i'm I'm listening to that a little bit because, you know, they do, they do have interview guests who come on and like, that's, that's cool. But it's also just, I know I'm going to have a good time listening to it. So it's that to me is the, is the big draw there. 
Yeah, I've um, seen Chris Matrix yeah. make me wish I played Marvel yeah. 2, like when they did. Like, their Matrix stories. He's got so many good stories, yeah. Man. <clears throat> and uh, there's still, like, y'all probably gonna keep the podcast as long as you possibly can. And, Dude, and keep uh, going. Yeah, I mean, we'll keep it going as long as. I, don't, I guess I'm not sure why we would stop it. <laughs> I don't really know what would make us stop it. I mean, some significant life change. You know, one of us has a really different job at some point or you know something that's bigger than that that requires maybe i have a kid or whatever something that may change but um for now i don't know why we would stop yeah i mean we both really enjoy it we have tubbleware on as well now and it's really cool for um all three of us because we're just all good friends like we talk outside of it uh i used to go to james's house every single week when we do pandemic we're not doing that now um so you know we don't have quite the same hangout that we used to but it's still really nice nice to catch up and so it's not just about like doing it for the scene that is probably the biggest reason that we've kept going but it's also just fun for us to hang out with our buddies and talk about things that happen i know like so i started this series because i have a co-host who's like my best friend of 20 years and like me and him are good as co-hosts and like if we bring on someone from like our city and we talk to it's always a great time but i knew he wouldn't have that passion or like would be interested in the like FTC. like to him this would be a cool interview but to me it's like oh this is ultra david like oh <laughs> shit this is like the interview so the fact that i created the series and within the podcast to do this is something that like i just wanted to do and yeah, like you said, I just don't see it stopping anytime soon. As long as I can do these, I'm going to. I want to interview every damn body. That's that's oh, the man. ultimate yeah. goal. Looking forward to it. But speaking of the pandemic and things of that nature, you technically didn't stop. So what was that like to work during the pandemic? I feel like you you are at that little. De- I can see it now. You're at the desk that's CPT, and you're just commentating and you're killing it. It's true. Yeah. Um, it was weird at first to do online commentary after so many years of just doing person. There's a lot of little cues that you don't get when you're on a call. You know, you're like on a Zoom call and you talk over each other because mm-hmm. you can't really see that the other person. If you're next to somebody, you can get the sense that like they want it's their turn. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're like maybe they're leaning forward, maybe they're gesticulating or something. Like, you can get these reads. But that's not really doable online. So it caused a lot of us to talk over each other, and I think it, I don't think commentary is as good. It's almost like playing, right? Like commentary is not as good online as it is offline just like so it was it was different but it wasn't um i was happy to be doing it just because it felt like a, it was a return to some semblance of normalcy nothing was happening we weren't doing events even for the first few months of the pandemic i mean there's not like we weren't even weekly stuff mm-hmm. until and we realized basically like oh it's not gonna we're not gonna be coming back to offline for a long time okay let's do stuff uh so so even to be doing online commentary it felt really good um, even as as kind of janky as it was and since then i think that all of us have gotten better at it like it's there's um there there are techniques to do better online commentary so i don't think it's ever going to be as good as offline but yeah i mean you know we're, we're figuring it out so you even like when stuff started coming back you was like i'm gonna get my commentary bag regardless it, it didn't really hinder your want to commentate at all Oh, no, no, yeah, I definitely still wanted to commentate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there wasn't... Uh, commentary is not like a high-paying gig in general, but um, I, I didn't really think about it as 
as like i'm not making money i mean i part of why i'm still a lawyer is that like that's what i is it's a little bit more lucrative um than, than commentating just, just a little bit a little bit yeah uh so that's not really the big concern it was just i really missed doing it. It so fun i really enjoyed it. so even if it wasn't as good even if it was just online i was really happy to have it back yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. So I'm guessing you still miss offline tournaments and things of like that? Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought about going to CEO, decided not to, for the same reason that I'm sure everybody who didn't go decided not to. Just, you know, worried about pandemic stuff. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm vaxxed and boosted, and I'm, I'm staying careful, but I don't know. You never know. I mean, I'm, I'm intending to start going to stuff next year, like maybe at Frosty's. Um, in late January, but on the other hand, like Omicron seems like it's going to be doing some work, so I it's really hard to say. But I am I miss it, of course. Right, right. And I mean, I'm I'm vaccinated too. My only thing is like I definitely think I lost my card, so like I don't want to have to like <laughs> bring my because it was like a no card. It's not like That's a great. little I like know, I know, you know I what know. I mean. Like I don't want to have to pull that out everywhere. I'm like, oh, you got your card. Like ah, oh, goddamn. Like I'm already vaccinated. Yeah. Can I just give you a negative COVID test? <laughs> And it's like, I get doing something. And then that's my only fear, too, is like, I know Frosty, they have a policy of uh, the mask mandate, which I'm not against. But as far as commentary goes, like, I'm already like soft spoken and low tone. So I'm going to really have to enunciate and do <laughs> facial expressions so I get every word clear and detailed. And some of these names, some of the FGC names are kind of hard to pronounce. So I'm, I'm petrified yeah, as a commentary, commentator. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I'm willing to do it as long as we can work through the event. And I kind of hope that the event does happen because I booked my hotel and I, it's, it's kind of expensive. There you go. Yeah. Hear that. And that's, that's the thing that sucks, too, because it seems like we were starting to hit that curve. Like, uh-oh, we, we're back to somewhat normalcy. It's, it's still going to be yep. a weird time. And then now COVID out here. We're getting, Unpredictable. Getting buffs and a patch we asked for. Oh, no. This <laughs> is terrible. You kind of touched on it a little bit, but I did want to get your honest opinion of what did you think about the current, like, climate of fighting games today? I think it's in a great place. I'm really, really happy about our fighting games. Um, I mean, the, the larger FGC, you know, since we can't do offline stuff, it's, well, at least not, not as much as the past. I think that's a different question. I think it's going as well as it can, but, you know, can't, it can't go as well as it did before. As far as the actual games... I'm super happy about it. Like I was saying earlier, I really like SF5 and MK11. And there are so many different games that appeal to so many different people. So I, I enjoy those. Other people enjoy DNF Duel has a beta this week. KOF has a beta this week. And they both seem like really fun, interesting games that, that appeal to a different crew. And I think that's the case with, with all the games that we do. So, I, I mean, honestly, I don't know if there's been a time in the FGC when there have been so many good competitive, interesting, beautiful games with as much good netcode as we currently have. I mean, I'm really, really happy with where it is. And I'm glad that, like, we've been voicing our opinions and thoughts on rollback netcode, and we're starting to get that in more and more fighting games. And I'm glad that Arxis is going back to old fighting games and putting rollback netcode in. And that's yeah, even that's sick. So, cool. so well, hopefully... 
that there's not a single even if it's an arena fighter i don't care i don't play arena fighters like that but like if there's arena fighter anything with fighting in it it should have rollback neck code it should have a neck code strong enough to where people could if they're in the u.s you could play whoever and if you want to get freaky you can play someone in europe and it'd be somewhat decent (laughs) like it should not because like i'm saying like there might be a point to where we don't go outside again i hope not because i need some sunlight but yeah who knows at this fucking point? I hear you. So, I'm glad that the FGCs are getting into the rollback thing. And then, my, you know what I'm saying, I'm still relatively a scrub, so I'm not the greatest fighting game player in the world. But I think the the strategy that Dragon Ball Fighters has is the model that I want more fighting games to take. Not saying that I need an auto combo to do a super and something like that, but easy to get into, hard to master. Mm-hmm. Those games will make me practice and try to level up more versus it's the hardest fighting game ever. It's like, well, bro, I can't even focus on <laughs> punishing someone. Like, it's so hard to just play neutral or to anti-air and look to take the throw and look for all these different signs that I can't even do anything in the damn game because everything's hard to do. Like, I, if it's hard, like, if you could do some insane shit in the game, cool, I love that. But I want to be able to at least play the game. I shouldn't beat a Justin Wong because it's, I just hit one button and it works. I'm not saying that. I'm just yeah. saying I want to be able to at least move <laughs> and, like, hit a button or hit an anti-air if I want to. Like, sure. mm. oh, I, I understand that. Yeah, and I, I think part of why there's such a good... Um, seen right now for fighting games is is that there are those options and historically there were not so uh, yeah I I love it I'm, I'm really happy with where the games are because it was just always kind of like where like Street Fighter 5 was coming out and like Mortal Kombat 11 and, y'all ain't good this is that and the third I was like yeah mm-hmm. but you know I, I was following some people here I ain't gonna say no names on my platform but I was following some people in my in Iowa and I was like yeah, you're good at that game, but you suck at Street Fighter Five. You like them, them fundamentals <laughs> kind of left for as easy as the game is. You, you're not doing so hot, but <laughs> and, uh, what can you do? You kind of touched on it a little bit, but I still don't know what do you do outside of the FGC. Oh yeah, okay. Um, I well, I work. Um, like I said, my clients are mostly in game dev and sports and general e-commerce um digital entertainment so that's a big part of it but on top of that um i like to read and i like to write and i have two cats and what do i do i was doing political organizing for a while and uh yeah i think that's i think that's most of it i mean i get, i play other games too a little bit here and there uh, most of the games that I play are fighting games, but every now and then I'll pick up a game that's that's not competitive. Um, right now I'm playing Gunfire Reborn, just like a roguelike shooter. And before that I was playing a lot of Breath of the Wild. And, you know, there's always like some game that I have that's that's not fighting games. But yeah, man, a lot of my time is uh, is fighting games, whether it's playing or commentating or uh, streaming or um, or, li- or law. I was gonna say I don't even know how you have time for all this stuff because you also said that you're married. Does your wife like fighting games? I am. Um, nah, she's not into games in the same way. Uh, she she played a lot of games growing up, but hasn't really kept up with it. Does she um, at least know like what you're? You know what I mean? Like she has an idea what's going on. 
She does. She okay. does. Yeah. She That's just, fair. She's definitely no expert. But um, well, what's cool though is that we both have some some of the same interests, sure. But we also have some really different interests. So like you know, I'll be talking about fighting games or whatever, and she'll talk to me about baking or running. You know, other stuff that she's really into. so. I think I think part of what's cool about it is that um, even though we may not share all the same interests, we kind of like are both passionate about a bunch of stuff. And it's it's cool to me to see her passion, even if it's not for something that I also care about. Right. And I mean, I, I respect that. As long as you my thing was like for the future wife that ever listens to this somehow, some way. But like, just have an idea what's going on. Like If, if I'm watching basketball don't ask what time the broncos play or so you know what I mean? just, just, <laughs> at least know the teams that's that's all I think, let's be in the same ballpark to where it you ask the question it sounds like you generally care versus like i have no clue what's going on but i want to talk to yeah you. yeah yeah but that that is dope also i cannot say i don't know how the internet might have felt but i like the rob tv moment i thought that was hilarious when you put the shades oh, on thanks. And, yeah i thought that was a lot of fun yeah I mean, it's it's cool because, you know, I think going back to Smug, we were talking about him. Um, Rob is the same kind of way where, like, he's got a great sense of humor and he's he's um, he's a really cool guy to, like, hang out with. Uh, and so, like, we have a rapport of, like, you know, I'm if he rips on me, I think it's hilarious. He he is he's the same way. Like, you can do the kinds of things that I did on that stream. And like, you know, you can see his face like he's cracking up. He thinks it's hilarious. So. Uh, I, I love it. I, I really like him on on the mic in general, and he's got a, a great a great host, good interviewer, um, a lot of talent on that side. So, yeah, he's he's cool. Yeah, I definitely think that like Rob to me never came off as cocky because I feel like he generally believes the stuff that he says, and like I, he he's one of those few anomalies that could probably do whatever he wants to do. Like yeah, if he wants to develop true. a fighting game, he probably could. That's he not... probably would be. Yeah, he's probably just good at all all sorts of stuff. All the stuff that I've seen him try so far, which is which is great. And another like surprise duo that I really generally enjoy is you and Saint Cola. I think that's a very oh, strong deal, duo. Yeah, he's great. I think he's a really good commentator. Definitely one of the ones on the rise. And I think if anything, the not saying like you know, what I'm saying I'd love to give me some James Chan and Ultra David on any sort of channel, but like seeing Vicious shine more, seeing Saint Cola yeah. shine more, and like Rins and those kind of guys get more opportunities in the pandemic is always Jake Ryan. That's always like kind of mm-hmm. cool for me to see. And that's oh, definitely I, I definitely agree. Yeah, I'm I'm happy for all those guys, and um, I'm sure that there will be even more. You know, in the future, people who are who are continuing. To- so I, I love it. I, it's something that I want to support. And, um, you know, when somebody kind of like turns the corner from being on the come up to being an established, like, for example, at CEO, St. Cola and Brad M got to the top eight. That was awesome. I was really happy for those guys. Um, that that process of seeing somebody get good is really, really cool for me. And not to mention, uh, shit, St. Cola doing back to ba- back top eights. I don't. He did. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I don't think I could do anything like that. That is, that is <laughs> different. Um, but Ultra David, I think you've been a phenomenal guest. Still, a surreal moment for me. That's actually insane that this actually happened. But is there anything <laughs> that you want to shout out, promote? Floor is yours. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ultra David, and I stream at Ultra Chen TV. Uh, that's also the YouTube channel, and that's where. 
as we were talking about earlier, we do the Tuesday show news and recap and discussion of every week in the FGC. And I'll for sure have those links down below. Once again, thank you guys. If you guys are listening to this point, I appreciate it. I generally do. Uh, sorry that I haven't been able to do many runbacks. Uh, it's kind of hard getting some of the FGC people on, which is a good thing, too, because they're all talented as hell and they're <laughs> always busy doing stuff. So a little of me can't get a hold of them. But when I can, I would interview anyone and everyone at any given time. So hopefully I can bring more back for you in 2022. I think this is a great way if this is the last one I do for the run back this year to end it on Ultra David. Like, that's, that's a dub in my eyes. I don't get no bigger than that. But uh, until next time, guys, love you and have a great day.